Welcome to Breaking Green Ceilings, the podcast that amplifies the diverse voices of those who are committed to protecting and sustainably managing our natural environment. I'm your host, Sapna Mulki. Let's get started. In this conversation, I speak with Isaiah Hernandez, primarily about Queer Brown Vegan, an Instagram page that provides educational breakdowns of environmental terms. I really respect Isaiah's work around educating the general public on the jargon, concepts and ideologies in environmentalism, because having pursued higher education and a profession in the same, I didn't fully realize how exclusive we can be with our knowledge, which in turn prevents us from creating inclusive and representative movements. It was insightful for me, so I really appreciated that. Another critical discussion we have is around how his identity of being a queer person of color and vegan influences how and what he communicates about environmental issues. And I feel so lucky to share this conversation with you and I hope you enjoy it. Tell us a little bit about the experiences that you had growing up that may have shaped your perception about the natural environment. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so my name is Isaiah Hernandez. And basically growing up for me, I grew up in a city called San Fernando Valley, California. That's located in Los Angeles, California. And essentially for me, I grew up in a community that was very low income, that was predominantly black and brown families living in that community area. And for me, you know, I never had access to clean water. My parents always use bottled water. And essentially for me too, like I help recycle throughout the weekends in order to like gain some economic value through that with my parents. And whenever I had time to access green spaces, which were predominantly parks, it was always having to go to the next city or somewhere that is more affluent up there, upper in the city for me from where I lived. And, you know, during the weekends when I would play in the parks with my brother and sister, of course. I was surrounded by a lot of fresh air, so much greenery and so much, you know, carefreeness and like free flowing energy. And whenever I would come back home, it often felt sometimes difficult to be able to really access those spaces, especially because there wasn't really a lot of green spaces near where I lived. There was, of course, a lot of trees that I've noticed. And of course, when I would go to school, we had some trees around the area and in the backyard where all the kids would play for school. And for me, I really started getting me involved more in the environment is learning just about how much earth gives to us because I know growing up, you know, my parents always taught me how much earth gives you and how much you're supposed to reuse items and be resourceful about it. So I think having that really background in order to really understand and also appreciate what earth has like given to my family really helped me shape my environmental narrative. As I got older, I realized, you know, myself being a queer person of color, one is that in a lot of environmental spaces, there weren't a lot of people who really looked like me. Predominantly, a lot of them were white folks or white students. And, you know, a lot of them had those experiences of like traveling, hiking, and going to all these like national monument parks and something that I didn't really have access to or didn't really understand how my experiences were a bit different. And I think for me, I'm already understanding that one, there's a barrier of my own identity of how I'm able to really 
talk about nature being queer and flowing and also myself being in these spaces, the second barrier was also being a person of color and really understanding my own environmental narrative and how it actually matters in this environmental movement, essentially because what we've seen in media is usually generally a lot of white environmentalists being showcased as celebrities or stars or heroes for the environment. But a lot of the recognition that people of color, Black, Indigenous people of color go through doing groundwork and EJ work in communities are not really often highlighted by the media. They're not seen as like, heroes or equals. These are people who are actually just trying to survive in their communities, demanding for a better equity and justice for their own communities. So I think for me, that was really something that shaped me as I've continued on my career throughout college and after college. Thank you for that. That was a lot. And there just, you touched on a lot of great points that I think aren't necessarily discussed enough. And just starting with like your childhood is, it sounds like kind of the conservation was two things. It was your parents kind of instilling in you the value of how Mother Earth kind of nurtures human beings. And then also it was just kind of out of necessity in a sense. And I feel like that was kind of my experience growing up in Kenya is, you know, we had to conserve water because we had water rationing often. And it was the whole values of like, don't waste food and just trying to reduce our waste as much as possible or consumption rather, just manage it as much as possible. You also mentioned that your experiences of going to college were different. So I believe you went to Berkeley. So what were your interactions with other environmental students? You did touch upon a little bit on how most of them had an opportunity to go into these monument parks and go hiking and stuff like that. How did that make you feel? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so thank you guys for sharing. I think at first when I barely entered Berkeley as an undergrad and I'm learning a lot of these topics, it was a bit difficult for me to really interconnect each theme and topic and issue that was happening throughout the world, especially because the language that is used in academia can sometimes be very inaccessible and very, as someone who comes from a community that has experienced environmental injustices, I didn't really know what the term environmental racism meant, you know? Also, too, prior to my education in high school, it was a very low-income public high school that didn't really build me, give me the tools to really have a strong mm-hmm. foundation in academics, such as like the science and biological fields. And I think when in college, when I started talking about these topics and seeing a lot of my white student colleagues in my program talk about their own environmental narratives, it never looked like me. I never really associated myself with them, especially because mm-hmm. a lot of their appreciation for the earth you know, revolved around traveling and just quote unquote discovering yourself through all these different countries that are obviously not their native culture countries. And I think for myself, it made me wonder one, how is the environment being connected as an undergrad, myself studying environmental science, but two, are these experiences that one should be living or is it that, you know, society has reinforced this idea and perpetuates the fact that if you're able to travel, you're doing veganism, zero waste or other things like that really makes you accomplished. But for me, not really having a mentor there in undergrad during that time, I realized that 
my narrative is also as valid, but also knowing that I also have a very unique perspective to be able to talk about my culture, which is a lot of things that I felt that a lot of my white colleague students felt is that they never really had connections to their own, what you would say, like culture identity. And I think me being Mexican-American, having a lot of, you know, my parents and grandparents being Mexican farmers back in Mexico before they immigrated here, it really made me realize that we are also environmentalists. It may not be seen or labeled the same because of what social media or like what conversations go through, but it is something that is also valid. And I think that it was about really challenging myself to unlearn a lot of those perpetuated values that academia really presents to its undergrad students. Yeah, that's so true. It completely resonates with me. So what you said about the cultural identity and the environmental values and how those are interconnected. And you don't necessarily think of somebody as an environmentalist until unless like they went to school for that degree. Mm-hmm. And what I'm trying to push for, I guess, is that environmentalism or an environmentalist is not a dirty word. And it's something mm-hmm. that we all are in our own ways. And that there's an opportunity for us to explore that some more. And you don't have to go to school to appreciate nature and protect it. And it's really nice to see, especially with the younger generation, where they're, you know, some of the most vocal advocates for reducing climate change and also just promoting environmental justice values. So thank you for sharing that very critical point that we don't hear enough of. So fast forward, you've graduated from Berkeley and you're kind of like paving your path into the real world. What does that look like? And how did your queer brown vegan come to existence? And if you can give us a little bit of background on what queer brown vegan is all about. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I think after graduating from undergrad, I was obviously very happy, but also understanding that a lot of the social sphere bubble circle in academia is also an illusion in a sense, right? You enter the real world industry and you see, you know, a lot of the workforce is not really diverse in certain departments, especially within the environmental sector. And I realized to myself, of course, that attending events that cater towards like climate crisis, sustainability, veganism, animal liberation, a lot of these like environmental big theme topics are really talked about. You go to these events and again, you see the same thing where it's not really a diverse audience. It's mainly like white folks and upper middle class white folks talking about these issues, but not really, really doing the work to really interconnect and seamlessly challenge themselves to connect these topics. And I think for myself, it was a bit frustrating because even myself attending these events or whether it be symposiums or research, I often felt that because of the privilege I carried with having a degree is that I was often talked about, asked like, oh, how do you know more about this? Or how, how do you know about this? And it's more about, I learned this in undergrad, I did environmental science. And unfortunately, like, you know, society in the sense for these events kind of operates in a way of like, well, how do you know? And then you, it's like a degree really, in a sense, kind of sadly credits yourself in that industry to be like, I, you know, studied this, but also I think, there's a fine line between acknowledging your privilege and then also like to like 
challenging those people to say, regardless of what anyone's degree is or what their level of education is, I think anyone doing any type of environmental work is valid and that's what makes them environmentalists. So I think for me, I created Queerbound Vegan mainly because a lot of times I talked a lot about environmental issues and I was very passionate about it. And going vegan for me and then living a low impact, zero waste lifestyle for me was very meaningful for me, of course. But I felt that when I created this page, I didn't want it to become the normative of like what people present on social media of like these lifestyle interior photos of them on their beds with their like, you know, zero waste toothbrush or like (laughs) their like zero waste products. I felt that, you know, I wanted to be more different than that. And especially because my identity is what I wanted to intersect into like veganism zero waste is that I wanted to showcase to those like how environmentalism can be accessible if the right people are put in these places, but also having the platform and recognition to showcase myself and not be afraid to the world of being like, this is very scary. Like the zero waste social media Instagram community is not diverse. A lot of them fail to intersect race, class, and gender. That goes the same to the veganism community. And that's what really scares me. And I felt this is my time to really showcase myself and put myself out there, but also understanding that running the risk of having pushback from people saying like, you're just dividing the movement even further, mm-hmm. which is something that I've gotten in the past. So it's been very disheartening to hear that but also very empowering to know that i have to continue fighting but in a sense my fighting looks like of giving more love back than actually like arguing back or debating with someone because i know at the end of the day sometimes people are not willing to really do the work to really unlearn themselves and i think that's the thing that a lot of the people in the environmental community are afraid to ask for is how to unlearn and i think that's something that i learned and i'm still learning every day of how i can be a better listener and how i can unlearn a lot of the things that of course like may not are either wrong or you know i'm just not have the right contextual history for mhm you said that you've been one of the reactions to you creating your platform on social media, particularly on Instagram Mm -hmm. around veganism. People have said that you are dividing the community further. Could you tell us a little bit more about what they mean and where is that coming from? Yeah, so essentially I was recently featured on an article for Tenderly Magazine and essentially I talked about how I'm a queer person of color that's vegan, that's diversifying the environmental movement. And essentially, someone com- had commented on the article saying, there's always been room in the environmental movement. You're just dividing the movement. So I asked this person, like, why do they think I'm dividing? But, and then her response was basically like, everyone has always had space in the movement. And I told her, I said, you know, for decades or for even centuries, Black, Indigenous, people of color have been silenced by environmentalism. And a lot of times environmentalists are not willing to talk about race, class, status, and gender. I'm like, there's a lot of communities out there that have experienced environmental racism and do not have the platform to talk about this. And I think it's very important to say that there are people of color doing environmental work because Growing up, a lot of the times my own heroes or who I would look up to was just white environmentalists. So for you to say that makes me think that you also deny intersecting this and they didn't respond after that. So I think that was a really one pushback, but also to understanding that not everyone's going to think the same. And I think that this Mm -hmm. person 
took it personal instead of a realistical sense of like what's wrong with society. And I think that a lot of times people's own feelings can get hurt knowing that they can be called in and that's not something they really want to learn about. And I think that's something that comes from ignorance, which is something that you're not willing to really do the work to really educate yourself. And that's not up to me to educate them, but that's up to themselves if they want to really learn or not. Right. And this is kind of common in terms of like the source of that ignorance is just um, privilege in a sense. Like if you've always had some sort of privilege, economic or even like through education, then you feel less of a need to actually educate yourself about other issues. You feel like the information should be coming to you Mm -hmm. and you should be like somebody else should educate you about this stuff. And I'm kind of starting to recognize some of these things, which I really didn't until I guess I started to educate myself more about this stuff. I feel like it's such a, it's it's a really fine line or it's just like such a sensitive conversation to have with people about creating space for Black, Indigenous people mm-hmm. and people of color about not only just in the environmental space, but it's just like in a lot of professional sectors where there's just like a lack of representation from these particular groups and so there's always going to be this thing of, well, you've always been welcomed to to the table, but it's not necessarily the case. And even if we have been invited mm-hmm. to the table, we haven't been invited to speak. Yeah, I kind of struggle with that myself where you get reactions like that. And yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's hard to like reason with that and just try and create some sort of like healthy conversation around it without the other person feeling like they're being attacked when they're the ones who are actually making the claim against you. Yeah, so I don't know. It's, it, it is a difficult thing to do, especially if they're, the person who already said this comment was white themselves. So yeah. again, like it's like the privilege is already distinguishable there. <laughs> yeah. That's a, like a topic for another time, but just like unpacking it. Like, why do they feel like there was always a space for for people of color and if so like what does that look like to them yeah that's actually a really good question i think for them i think it's mainly i would assume that this person had a big following on social media i think it's the fact that like social media is there so i think they probably connect it of like oh yeah well you're able to use a platform now to talk about your issues yeah. so i think maybe they're coming from that perspective but i don't really know what they were you know, they came from. Anyways, it just made me curious to mm-hmm. kind of understand it a little bit more. So you have quite a following on social media and that's kind of how I found you. <laughs> <laughs> and I really like your content because it's educational and it breaks down the seemingly complex terms into simple language. And it's accessible. It's on social media and everyone's on Instagram. Well, almost everyone's on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about how, what are like your kind of values of communicating or educating? What are some of the, yeah, those values? Yeah, I think it comes down from like my own experiences growing up is that, you know, even with then entering undergrad, like a lot of these middle class, upper middle class environmentalists saying all these terms, of course, and like, using a prolific language, of course, it often kind of feels sometimes defeatist. And it contributes to, of course, elitism, essentially. But I think for myself, like, 
had I learned these terms before at a younger age, I feel like it would have made me more feel more comfortable to speak out in certain issues that I felt very passionate about. So I think for me, it like I would have told my younger self to like actually learn these terms. So now that I had the privilege to learn this, I think for me, I like break it down in the sense of like, what are things that I honestly wanted to learn? And what are things mm-hmm. that I really were passionate about, but never really understood. So I break them down to those concepts, but also myself too, I learned new concepts along the way of like, I think more about like more complex terms that I've been learning about right now. And like looking into like policies, like the Green New Deal, the Blue New Deal, a Red Deal, essentially like those, all those policy programs or proposals or, you know, stances for the climate crisis resolution really taking myself to really educate myself along the way while teaching others, just more mm-hmm. simplifying in a more way that is very much more readable for readers, especially because I even too, when I read things, I'm like, this is like an academic paper, of course. And like, would I expect someone that's like, I don't know, like someone very younger than me, maybe they actually do have the, obviously the resources to access that. But for me, it's like, what I understand is like, no, unless it's like I simplify it for myself. So it's more about, yes, learning about myself more, but also being able to really have that information accessible for others. Because I know that a lot of times, a lot of my followers come from different backgrounds and ethnicities. So they're also wanting to learn about these issues. So it's really mm-hmm. happy to see that a lot of people are willing to really learn and engage in my content through that way. Yeah, I think it's awesome because I wish I had something like this when I was growing yeah. up. So there's an element beyond just education. I don't know how to describe it, but you're not only educating people, there's a call to action, mm-hmm. I feel. Am I interpreting that correctly? Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, like my main main call for action is essentially for people to start thinking critically about these things. And in a sense, yes, like each post I kind of post kind of builds upon the other. Mm-hmm. And the more I use the terminology of like climate justice, frontline community in my paragraphs and in my later posts, I also encourage the readers that have been following me or that are new to like look back at the other definitions because in the end, my long-term goal is to be able to use these terms and intertwine them together and essentially allow, give the tools and framework for those whoever wants to enter the environmental field or doing what they continue to do or wanting to learn more is to really be able to share this information with either their parents, their children, their brother or sister, sibling, and be able to really empower one another. Because at the end of the day, like this content is not only benefiting myself, but it's benefiting others, which is something that I want to focus on. It's to be able to really bridge the gap between environmental education and people's curiosities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong here, a big part of sort of like your message and your identity is sort of like played a role in your cause. Mm. Could you tell us a little bit about how that is? Yeah, definitely. I think for myself, like being queer, being able to really understand my own sexuality growing up. And it is a self-discovery process, of course, but I am also very blessed to have been able to really discover myself at an earlier age because I know some people really struggle with that. And that's something that I struggled through in high school. And luckily Mm -hmm. in college, I was already out. But I think for me, like already entering college, being queer, it allowed me to really engage in a lot of communities that are happening in the queer community. And there's a lot of queer environmentalists out there, but no one really talks about them. And I think being able to really 
disrupt that heteronormative environmental industry of what is usually presented and being able to present queer environmental terms, it not only provides a space for queer Black Indigenous people of color, but also it acknowledges their existence and to really recognize that a lot of queer Black Indigenous people of color have been doing environmental work for ages mm-hmm. and like these people's work are valid. And I think that a lot of time too, living in this, this heteronormative society, it really only enforces and perpetuates what is seen as like quote unquote natural or normal in nature as like straight heteronormative when it's not it's you know free flowing it's something that doesn't judge by who you are and i think that being able to present that framework through a queer lens has really given the opportunity for a lot of queer youth to really explore that and actually engage in themselves to learn more about the environment because a lot of times sometimes queer people are like what does what does me being queer have to do with the environment i'm like there's so much you know yeah tell us what does it mean to actually like what does it have to do with the environment and being queer to me like what it means to be like queer and in the environment it means to be able to really just showcase yourself in your unapologetic way so i think that like really focusing on like issues that really revolve around queer communities, right? So I kind of touched brief on it in a call, but I talked about how queer Black Indigenous people of color are the ones who are usually in the frontline communities, right? Like these people, queer youth, queer folks are usually, you know, kicked out of their homes and left nowhere to go. And a lot of the times they're very vulnerable to a lot of heat waves, floods, lightning, because they don't really have access or the resources to go to a mm-hmm. shelter. And to me, you know, these are humans. These are people that are dying because of these, a lot of the homophobia has happened. So I think for me, what really means to me is providing that safe space for queer, Black, Indigenous people of color to be able to ask a lot of questions, but also to empower them, to give them the tools in order to seek help if they need it. Because I think a lot of times, you know, I had the privilege to be able to be in a family that, you know, of course, like, my family accepts me for who I am and I have a partner, of course. But it's difficult when you're growing up because there's so many things that society's out, you know, has constructed against queer people of color and queer trans people of color. And I think at the end of the day, it's about providing that safe space for them because a lot of times we're pushed out. And I don't want to say myself being pushed out because I have my own privilege being a tall, like skin Mexican, but more about folks, the ones who are the most vulnerable, which are queer, trans, black, indigenous women of color who are literally being, you know, murdered. And that's something that like is not really talked about. Mm-hmm. No, and thank you for actually describing that because I don't think a lot of people make the connection between like the LGBTQ plus community and environmental issues. So thank you for sharing that with us. So Queer Brown Vegan has created a platform for others such as yourself, as well as those who are not like yourself to educate themselves about just a gamut of environmentalisms. Mm -hmm. And so Continuing on this journey, what is your vision for change? Yeah, I think for myself, for change would essentially be like direct action, right? And I think direct action looks differently for any type of person, right? Of course, Mm -hmm. I'm saying, you know, as an able-bodied person myself, I am able to do more things to how that looks like in direct action, whether it be like protesting, whether it be 
standing up for people in the injustices that are happening in communities, like giving my labor to people that actually deserve it in these environmental EJ communities. And I think as I continue to, of course, like grow on this journey, as I want to also showcase to my followers and people, my friends and family who are following it, that it's not all about me. And like, if I'm saying what I'm trying to give this information, that doesn't mean it's the end for me of me saying like, okay, I did my environmental work, I'm done, right? It's more like, Mm -hmm. how can I continue expanding myself and showcasing to others, like other ways of alternatives, you know? And I think for me, like my long-term goal is to really like be able to really talk about these events in a more global scale and making it more accessible and really understanding a lot of other things that are happening around the world. Because of course, a lot of my framing looks into the United States, of course, right? I'm aware of certain injustices happening in different countries, but the way environmentalism is talked about is so much different than how I would talk about it. So mm-hmm. I think it's also about understanding those environmental communities out there too. Yeah. And, you know, you're still quite early on in, in, in your journey and you've made significant impact, I feel. What advice would you have for those who are considering taking a path into the environmental space, whether it's professionally or just wanting to be a voice for the environment? Yeah, I was able to talk to undergrads about it, just looking to see what you want to do at the end of the day, right? I think for me, when I first created Career Brown Vegan, it wasn't, it was less about oh, uh, this is who I want to be. I want to be out there. I want to be big. But it was more about focusing on like, do I think that this information can be accessible for everyone? And do you think, you know, I could do something in the world while working at a full-time career that's not really aligned to my own values? And I think for me, it it really looked like what I want to do in my life, right? I don't want to live a life where I could have regretted not helping people. And I think for me, being able to wake up every day and tell myself, you know, there's days I tell myself I'm not doing enough is very obviously disheartening for myself to say that, but also mm-hmm. empowering to be like, I have to say no, like I am helping others. So I think for others advice out there that are wanting to either enter the environmental industry and like or create something creative on their own platforms is to really think about themselves and how they fit in the environmental movement, but also how else can you really showcase your hand to others and really learn more about what you're doing, your work, and also professionally in the sector is like, you know, understanding the environmental disparities and also the diversity and the workforce and understanding like some of the things that you may have to challenge or you may have to be out of your comfort zone. And of course, I'm not telling people like, if you can't do it, you're weak. It's more about you should know yourself, of course, and ground yourself, but also be there to take care of yourself at the end of the day because you've come home to yourself and Mm-hmm. Self is what really protects you and gives you that energy. So self is always there waiting for you. So I'd say, yeah, like, of course, go for it. And of course, like, I always ask tell my followers to reach out if they ever have any questions or wanting to learn more about creative work. But I think, you know, just making sure that you're a resource to others as well as you're doing your work. And I think that's what something I'm always been big on is collaborating and offering my own resources that I have in capacity to others. Yeah. And case in point is you are a guest on this podcast (laughs) (laughs) and we just connected very recently. Mm -hmm. So I I really appreciate it. I think that kind of willingness to help one another is just so crucial to the movement. 
There's one thing that you mentioned is that your full-time job isn't necessarily an environmental-related job. Is that correct? Yeah, essentially it's like a more of like a creative agency, not yeah. environmental campaigning or anything mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, but like also just because you got an environmental degree doesn't mean that you have to like get an environmental job right out of school. Oh, but yeah, of course. Yeah, everyone's on their own timeline at the end of the day. Like exactly. you define yourself and... If others are really trying to ask you what you're doing in your life or asking, you know, they should be more focused on their own lives instead of them mm-hmm. intruding your own personal life. So everyone has their own timeline. But of course, to like whichever job you may get or wherever you end up, like you will always learn valuable skills. And that's something I've right. been learning to my agency job is learning how to do creative work and campaigning. So I think that's yeah. something that I will definitely be incorporating in the future as I get older. Yeah, I think that's such a good idea because. I had an opportunity to work in a public relations agency mm. in Austin and that really got me exposed to communications and marketing yeah. and how to develop compelling messages around issues of water. And it got me, you know, I was already interested in like the social sciences and psychology and customer behavior. And so that kind of integrated those interests into and channeling it towards an environmental issue that I care about, which is water. And I think it just helped me kind of broaden my perspective around an environmental issues because it's not just understanding kind of the technical aspect of it, but it's also as important knowing how to communicate Mm -hmm. about it in an effective manner and to a large and diverse group of people. So yeah, I I think that kind of non-environmental experiences is really useful to eventually use for an environmental passion if that's kind of like the direction that an individual wants to go into. So we'll get into the lightning round here and it's just a four questions and just answer the first thing that comes to your mind. So we'll start with the first question here, which is what have you read, heard or watched lately that has influenced you the most? Ooh, this has been a really good one. I think for me recently that I've actually read into is I took an international rural development course as the last one for my environmental degree. Mm. Uh, I think my senior year, and I, I found the reader is essentially what mm. I bought for the class. And it, it highlights a lot of articles. And I developed a framework of like the themes of rhetoric versus reality of what is told to us, but in reality, what happens and how you should be able to really develop these skills to question a lot of things that are happening. And I think for me, that has really gotten me a lot of attention is like hydro dams and how essentially negative effects that has been happening in societies, especially in Somalia and like all the dams that have been built there over the past few years, how it's led to the disintegration and deaths of animals, of course, destruction of eco- ecosystems, but also the deaths of indigenous tribes that usually relied on those sources of rivers near there. But because of the dams, fishes cannot go over the dams, of course, so it's creating a lot of friction. And the rhetoric that is behind the hydro dams that it helps you know, build electricity and economy for communities, of course, it's sold that way, but in reality, it's more harmful than what you would expect. So I think for me too, of course, I'm learning more about international rural developmental policy than how their structure, but also who is involved in these like stakeholders, such as like the World Bank and, and stuff like that. So I think for me, it's like obviously learning more about these issues because not everyone talks about it. Yeah, that's interesting that you brought that up because I mean, growing up in Kenya, mm-hmm. we were all about like hydro yeah. dams. And I mean, 
in developing nations. That's an agenda that has been pushed a lot by the World Bank. And so I was fortunate enough to learn more about it in my undergrad and then in grad school when we did international development. And you're so right. They totally sell these projects as, oh, it's a renewable energy project and it's so good for the community, but really destroys entire ecosystems within a watershed. And it's just was one of the worst (laughs) projects that any country can implement. And there's actually a, a controversial project that's taking place on the River Nile in Ethiopia, on the Ethiopian part of the River Nile. And it created a lot of kind of conflict with other neighboring countries that depend on the Nile. And so, you know, Kenya, Ethiopia, Egypt, obviously, Sudan kind of like got involved in that because... Ethiopia is going to be building this massive dam on this iconic river that has like supported civilizations for millennia. And we haven't even truly looked at what the environmental impact of such a massive project is going to be. It's really saddening, but anyways, I'll get off no, my yeah. little soapbox here. No, definitely, yeah. I'm really glad that we can relate to these topics, of course, too, because I, I like love reading into this and Sometimes people like are like scared to talk about it, but I'm like, no, we need to talk about it because it is very important <laughs> to acknowledge these stakeholders and who's responsible at the end of the day. Yeah, truly. All right. So what's a personal habit that has helped you significantly in your work? Ooh, I think I took a test. Like I said, like if you're an innovator, a generator, a producer, and I think I think what I got was like a generator. And I think for me, like one of the best habits I've, I have is I'm able to really work on things, right? So if I say I'm going to do something, I put myself to it, right? Whether, you know, sometimes I'm not feeling well, sometimes I'm just like procrastinating or not wanting to do it. I think I have mm-hmm. that type or personality to be like, I'm just going to do it. And then I do it and then I don't look back and I'm like, it's done. So I think that's really has helped me how I've been able to really get out content and also work on other projects that I've done in the past. Okay. What's the best piece of advice you've received? Ooh, this is hard because I think that (laughs) I've been told a lot of really good advice in the past. I think for me, in the beginning, it was about someone telling me like to stop thinking and start doing And for Mm -hmm. me, I understood that how much like, you know, I wanted things to be perfect. And I think a lot of the times why I held off Queer Bound Vegan posting in the the beginning when I first created the account is because I knew that I wanted to really flesh out the idea, but I think I wanted to follow a certain aesthetic. So then I told myself, oh, maybe I should like start developing photos this way or doing this. But then I was like, that's even giving me more anxiety. So then I just said, you know what? I'm just going to do this and hopefully it fits. And if it doesn't, then it doesn't. So then I think, yeah, that was one of the best advice to do is just do it. Don't overthink it anymore. Yeah. It's Nike's tagline. Yeah. Just do it. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh my God. That's so funny. Yeah. They're just permeating our lives in every single way through their branding. Literally. Branding. I think I have that same thing of just like analysis paralysis where I feel like, okay, it's got to be like some level of perfection, which is totally just bonkers because I think I'm become my own enemy Mm -hmm. for like the impact or change that I want to make. So yeah, just like you with like creating the Instagram account for this podcast, I just had to constantly remind myself, like get something out there that's actually, you know, just start doing Mm -hmm. something and don't get so stuck in in the details and it's really like it's a habit that i have to keep reminding myself not to like fall into that 
kind of behavior. Mm-hmm. But anyways, so the final question here is, what is your superpower? Oh, this is a good one. I think for me at the end of the day, it's being able to really empower others. I think a lot of my friends always go to me for certain advice or like, you know, self-help or like self-love. And I think for me, I'm a really great listener that has really allowed me to really understand more about my friends, but also empower them to be like, you have so much skills and you're so talented and why aren't you doing this? I think for me, it's been able to really empower a lot of the community or people I'm always around. So being able to really get them out there. Yeah. And we need that. So thank you for empowering (laughs) your people. All right. So finally, we've come to the end of Mm -hmm. our conversation. This was very enlightening. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Where can people find or follow you? Yeah, definitely. So for those who have an Instagram, you can follow me at like Career Ground Vegan or Alluvia Mag. That's also the other thing I helped co-create that features uh, Black and just people of color environmentalists in the, through climate storytelling through a creative lens. So you're always able to reach me through there. Mm-hmm. I also have a LinkedIn. My I do have my full name on certain posts. I'm not really anonymous on that end too. My full name is like Isaiah Hernandez. So on LinkedIn, you can also find, find me on there. And like you can also connect through me through email. My email is on the page too if you want to find me. And you can also check out www.alluviamag.com to see some of the past articles I've written for Alluvia or like you want to contact us through there. So I think that's pretty much it if you ever want to contact me or reach me throughout those platforms. Yeah. And just quickly, I really like the Alluvial magazine. It's connecting or featuring Mm. Black, Indigenous people of color or artists. I mean, environmental artists, I guess. Yeah. 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 And just kind of creating a platform for those folks there. So I think that's a really cool initiative that you have. Is there anything else that you would like to add before we end our session? No, not really. I mean, like I'm always... As always, like the last things I'd always like to add is that no matter where you are in life, you're not alone in this climate movement. It's often difficult, but also knowing that there's a lot of amazing people out there doing work like this, like you, of course, have done. So like you're doing such an amazing job. So thank you. Yeah, like I'm always open to any collaborations for anyone out there that's listened to this. So feel free to reach out if anything. Yeah. And, you know, this podcast is really supposed to serve as a support system for those who seek it. Because I think for me, my experiences were I was just often the only one of my kind in the room. And I I really wish I could connect more to others who had similar experiences to me. Yeah. Just like have a soundboard. But I think this will hopefully help those others who are in a similar journey. But again, thank you so much, Isaiah. I really appreciate your time and we will be in touch on Instagram. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sapna. Hey all, thanks for listening to Breaking Green Ceilings. If you'd like to hear more episodes with change-making environmentalists, head on over to watersavvysolutions.com backslash podcast. You can find me online on Instagram and Twitter. And as always, if you love the show, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like on iTunes. You can also sign up for my newsletter to find out when new episodes are available. And please do share the podcast with your family, friends, colleagues, and whoever you think will be inspired by the wisdom of our change makers. I always welcome feedback, so please do feel free to reach out to me. My contact information is also on watersavvysolutions.com. Until next time, keep breaking through those green ceilings.